the Lord's Supper. That's one of the things that we remember about the, the Thursday evening of Holy Week of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, John also tells us that that evening, Jesus showed us what um, true servanthood looks like by, by wrapping a towel around his waist and serving uh, even his disciples and cleaning their, their dirty feet, which if you didn't know, well, feet are dirty in general. I'm sure you already know that. But first century, ancient Near Eastern, non-modern you know, modern bathing techniques feet are especially nasty. And Jesus shows us what servanthood looks like by washing their feet. But tonight, we're not focusing on, on that. We're rather focusing on this meal that Jesus gave to us that night, which we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. Uh, maybe you've never wondered this, uh, but why do we do it? Like, why do we celebrate this meal as often as we do? Uh, why is it such a part of Christian worship uh, actually, in the history of the church, um, the centerpiece of Christian worship uh, for a long time, and in many denominations, many traditions, still is today, the sermon is not the center of worship. The center of worship is actually communion, receiving this meal that Jesus gave us. Why is this meal so important? Uh, one answer to that is really simple. Uh, Jesus told us to do it. Jesus says it, we should do it. Uh, but that would be a very, very short message tonight. <laughs> and we're not going that short. But I want to I encourage you and, and give to you three things this meal does that hopefully gives you encouragement, hopefully strengthens you in your faith. And, and my hope and prayer is that you would hear these things and you, at your very core, would say, I want this meal. That's my hope and prayer for us. So what does this meal do? Uh, the first thing this meal does is this is a meal that fulfills. A meal that fulfills. Uh, Jesus uh, and his disciples were celebrating this meal on what is known as Passover night, Passover celebration, and that was not a coincidence. Like, it wasn't just they kind of stumbled in it, and you know, one of those things where you just kind of were like, oh, that worked out that way, like, fortuitous. Uh, that didn't happen with Jesus. He knows all the things. He was very intentional about instituting this meal as they were celebrating the Passover, which the Passover was the meal that God's people, for, for literally thousands of years, had been doing over and over again, every single year, recounting the story of God's mighty act of salvation. That, that thousands of years before Jesus, uh, God had acted and rescued his people who were in bondage, who were in slavery in the nation of Egypt, and with his mighty hand, he, he sent judgment upon the nation of Egypt, and, and he told his people, listen, you will be spared of this judgment. It will quite literally pass over you as you take the, the, the blood of a pure, spotless lamb and, and sacrifice that to the Lord, and then take that blood and, and put it on your doorposts, 
and the judgment that is coming from God will pass over. And so they did that, and and they left Egypt that same night into the morning, and they went and they were freed from their oppressors. And they experienced salvation in that. And so, for thousands of years, God's people had remembered that night with this Passover meal. Jesus decides to call an audible as him and his disciples are gathered for this meal. He calls an audible by, by basically inserting himself in the meal, and he's saying, this thing is all about what I am doing. This meal is, is the fulfillment of everything you've experienced, of everything God has done in your life to now. This meal is this ultimate fulfillment of how God has been acting to, to save you and rescue and be your God. If I can kind of indulge, uh, indulge you with some, some deep theology, but you guys are the Monday Thursday crowd. I have faith in you. You guys are the serious ones. I have faith in you. When you read the scriptures, especially like the Old and the New Testament, there's a lot of things that you can notice and, and how the biblical writers and ultimately how God, who is inspiring all these people over the course of thousands of years to write it, um, you'll notice themes. And one of those themes is that, that in the Scriptures, there's an event or a person. And then later on in the story, there's an event or a person who's very similar. And there's some connections, and, and the fancy word for this is, is typology. That's kind of the $10 word for you. That, that there, is a, there is an event, there is a person, and then there's a type. There is, a, there is another thing that somehow exceeds it, that somehow is bigger than it. And so there's something that's small and then something that is big. And Jesus is really saying to his disciples, this meal... And the exodus from slavery, they are very much connected together, and they are types of one another. And it would be easy for us to say, yeah, the, the meal that Jesus is giving, that's the small thing. He's just with 12 guys there. The exodus, that was literally hundreds of thousands of people being liberated from slavery. Like, there was a plague that went on the, the nation of Egypt. That's a big deal. But you would be wrong. See, the small thing was, was God rescuing his, his people from Egypt. The big thing was what Jesus was doing that night. Because that meal was not just bringing salvation to one people group. It was not just freeing people from, from one pharaoh. This meal that Jesus says fulfills all of God's activity brings salvation to all people. Every tribe, every nation, every background. And it frees you not from an earthly ruler, but from, from the sin in your heart, the sin around us, and every force of evil in this world. It, it frees you and liberates you from it. Jesus is saying this meal is so much bigger than anything you've seen before. God is freeing you. He is is breaking the chains of sin and death 
by giving you this meal, and it's accomplished for you, not from the sacrifice of an animal, but from the sacrifice of God himself, saving all people who eat it. And that's amazing, I think, but, but I think it's incredible, and I think it's, it's moving and, and impactful because it reminds me that, that when we receive a gift, which who doesn't like receiving gifts? But when you get a gift from someone and you can tell that they, they put a lot of thought into that gift, like they just know you and they put a lot of energy into that gift and you're like, wow, that, that really speaks to me regardless of how much the thing cost. There's something in us that that, that speaks to because you're like, wow, you, you put intention, you put effort, you put you put your love and care into this gift. And I think about that when I think about this meal. Because what God wants us to know is this, is that, that all of God's activity, all of God's work throughout all of history is about bringing you this meal. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but this meal, you aren't receiving it by accident. God is is moved in your life. He's moved in history to give you his very forgiveness in this very meal. This meal fulfills all that God has done, and he gives it to you. More than just fulfill, this meal also assures. It fulfills and it assures. When was the time that you felt unlovable? I don't ask if, because I think for many of us, if not all of us, we can think about a moment in our life where maybe we've been overcome with shame and guilt, and we think about what we've done. We think about something that's happened. And we're overcome with the sense of, like, if, if people in my life knew that about me, they would want nothing to do with me. I'm unlovable. Like, maybe you've felt like that recently. That there's no way, if people knew the real you, that they could ever love you. They might tolerate you. They might put up with you. But they won't love you. What do you need in that moment when you are overcome and you feel like, I'm unlovable? Here's what you need. You need something from outside of you that's objective, that's sturdy, that's true, to speak to you in that moment and give you love. And, and you see, that's way different than, than what we try to do. What we try to do is we try to get our feelings in a certain place. We try to, try to think certain thoughts, and that will fix our feeling of being unlovable, that, that guilt and shame, but, but it won't ever actually fix it. What we need is something, someone from the outside of us to, to give us love even in spite of that. And Jesus knows this. And so, what he wants you to know is that he gives you this meal to assure you that he loves you. And we need it. I need this 
In those moments and those times where I feel like I'm not good enough, I need to hear the word of Jesus where, where I have my guilt and shame and he says to me, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you. And, and here's the thing. I don't care how you feel. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus says, this is for you. And you, you come and you take it in, and then you walk away from this table, and you may not feel different, but here's what you can say. I may not feel different. My circumstance may not have changed out there, but here's what I have. I have the body and blood of Jesus given to me. And I can know that, that nobody else may love me, but Jesus loves me. Jesus forgives me. And you want to know why I know? Because I can taste it. Because I have that bread on my tongue. I have that wine on my lips. And I can taste it. And I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. He loves me. Now, you may wonder this from time to time. And, and I know people do because people ask me, like, Pastor, like, what, what do I got to do to get ready to receive this meal? Like, this is a big deal. Jesus says, hey, come and take and eat my body and blood. Like, this is a big deal. How do I make sure that I'm, like, measuring up, that I'm, like, worthy enough to take this meal? Because the thing is, we can think about the things we did Friday, Saturday night, and we can think to ourselves, like, man, I don't know how worthy I am to come and, and get Jesus in my hand and on my lips. What do I got to do to make sure I'm, I'm worthy enough? I love how Martin Luther puts it. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you want to actually, like, do things through prayer or fasting or other things that kind of get you ready when you know you're going to receive communion. If you want to prepare yourself in some sort of way, he's like, that's all well and good. Knock yourself out. But then here's what he says. He says, but the person who is truly worthy, who meets the standard to come and receive this body and blood, and who is well prepared is the one who simply has faith in these words— given and shed for you. That's it. See, you may feel unlovable, and you may be like, man, I am a wreck, I am a mess, and you may be like, I shouldn't go and get this meal. And it's in those moments when Jesus would say, no, that's when you need it. Because that's when I get to speak to you and say to you when you feel at your lowest, I love you. And you can know it as you put your hand out and you receive the body as you open your lips and you taste the blood. And it's all for you. And as you take that in, it assures you you are loved. It's a meal that fulfills. It's a meal that assures. But it's also a meal that promises. It's a meal that promises. Have you ever had the thought, it can't get any better than this? 
like you're going through something in life, you have something, like have you ever had that thought like, it can't get any better than this, this is amazing, it can't get any better. For me, like those moments, or at least the, the most memorable one for me is the birth of my first kid. And if you're a parent, I'm sure you can relate. You have that kid come into your life and you're like, there's nothing that can be better than this. But then it gets better. <laughs> Because then you see them grow and it's like a whole new person as they develop their personality and you get to meet them and know them and it's like, wow, this was so amazing. How could it get better? And it gets better. And then if you have a second kid, oh my goodness, it gets even better because now you get to see your first kid love on and care for their sibling. I know that they're going to fight and kids are a mess. I get it. But you know what I mean. There's nothing better. And you're like, how could it possibly get better? And yet somehow, magically, mysteriously, it gets better somehow. When we, when we take communion, that's what it's like. How could it get any better? But there's still more. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we sang it, actually, in this last song. He says, every time we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Comes again in glory. Paul is saying, the best is yet to come. Which, honestly, is really hard to believe because like, if you just take this meal and the incredible gift that it is, that it's a meal that, that shows us God has been at work throughout all of history and in your life to bring you to receive this meal. It's a meal that meets you at your most unlovable and gives you love that you don't deserve, that you're unworthy of, but it says you're, you're mine, you're loved. How could it possibly get better? But Paul wants to remind us that, that this meal is meant to also point us to the day when Jesus comes. That the best is yet to come. It points us forward to that day and says, I can't wait for Jesus coming back. That's what this meal does, and it promises that as amazing as it is right now, to receive this forgiveness, to receive this assurance, the best is yet to come. One of the ways for me that helps me remember this and cherish this is um, when I receive communion, I think about people. I, I obviously think about Jesus as he's giving me this meal, but I also think about, I think about the people in my life who I know, who I love, family, friends, who have been called home to the Lord already. And I think about them whenever I take communion. Because one of the things that we forget about or we don't talk about a lot is that every time we receive this meal, we are having communion with our Lord. We're having communion with, with everybody in this room, by the way. Like, you're communing. You are in unity with them. But at the same time, we are in a very real communion with all of the people who are with our Lord right now. 
And if you don't believe me, in our traditional liturgy, we say this as we prepare for communion. We say, therefore, with angels and archangels, and with who? With all the company of heaven. We join with them in celebrating and worshiping our risen Lord Jesus. I think about the great hymn for all the saints, and one of those verses of that hymn says, O blessed communion, fellowship divine, about this fellowship, this communion we have together, and it says, we, being those of us on earth, we feebly struggle, life is hard, life is difficult, they, those who've gone before, they in glory shine, yet all are what? All are one in thee, for we are thine. And I think about that, and you think, how can it get any better? And it gets better. Because, because there was coming a day when Jesus returns when we will not be separated in earth and heaven. We will all be resurrected in glory together, receiving Jesus, worshiping Jesus together. And we get a glimpse of that right here and right now. This meal promises that. That as amazing as it is, it's getting even better. So every time we take this meal, think to ourselves, this is just the appetizer. Jesus is coming back. Jesus, come back for that glorious day. So what do you do in response to a meal that fulfills, in response to a meal that assures, in response to a meal that promises? What do you do in response to all this? It's really simple. Take and eat. Take and drink, because it's all for you. Amen.